Welcome to episode 3 of Iron Man Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Hey guys, and welcome along to episode three of Iron Man Talk uh, with Bevan James Isles and John Newsom. How are you going today, mate? Very good, thanks. Very good. It's a big show this week. We've got uh, a few exciting things for you guys coming up. Um, in today's show, we're going to have lots on news, and the big thing in the news is really could Iron Man Hawaii be changing its location? Also, what's coming up in the next uh, next month with races? We're going to be doing a little bit on Epic Camp France, plus the bit we talked about last week, our impressive age grouper of the week. Also, Iron Man Wetsuit are changing their name, and we'll get into more detail on that later on. Plus, uh, we've got an interview with Karen Balance. Now, last week we were talking about the uh, International Triathlon Professionals Organization, and she's actually on the board of that, and we're going to be doing an interview with her, which is really exciting. Plus, we're also going to be having Coach's Corner with John, and uh, what are we covering today, mate? <laughs> we're going to be going into training intensities and, and how to do a lactate test. So, yeah, we've got heaps on the cards today, so... Bring it on. First of all, the uh, big news of the week, which uh, which you linked through to me the other day, is the fact that there's talk out there that I am in Hawaii may be changing its location. Yeah, it's been rumbling out there for a little while, and I'm sure you tri-junkies have been keeping on top of it. But uh, yeah, I am in Corporation, first thing they've done actually this year is they've, they've had to move the week of Ironman. So they've recently done that, and it's been shifted back a, a week later because of just Kona's too busy, apparently. So it sounds like they're getting a lot of headaches actually trying to hold the race in Kona. Apparently the locals aren't too stoked about it and uh, and it's just becoming harder and harder for them. So is, is, that, the, is that the main reason? Like, Well, you never know. I mean, you, you, this, everybody's got their little theory, but, but definitely one of the strong theories out there, and this is what Ironman Corporation have been saying, is that Kona are trying to sort of push them out there. They're, they've got all these cruise ships coming in every week and, and Ironman creates... Uh, a disruption to the cruise ships and disruption to the the big spending tourists that come into town. I mean, it sounds a bit strange, really, when you get Ironmen coming in yeah. for you know anywhere from one to three weeks, and they must spend a fortune <laughs> down there. You know, well, you know, I went, when I went to Hawaii, man, I spent some money. Yeah, you know, not just on the event, but you know, you're having the experience, you're getting out, you're tourist dollar, and I mean, I can't quite understand it because these tourists, the, the cruise ship people, are just coming in generally for the day. Yeah. And they'll probably spend a little bit of money. They'll go out for a meal. Iron men are there, and they're booking up those condos for yeah, two weeks. Combination is impossible uh, in that, that uh, time, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. So, do you think there's more than meets the eye? Well, I think, yeah. I mean, I'm always a bit of a conspiracy <laughs> theorist. And, I, and JFK and and the Iron Man Corporation to me spits out. They are always trying to make as much money as possible. And I think you know, logistically for them, it'll be a lot easier to hold the event in Florida, which is where they're based, um, or hold it on the mainland USA somewhere. So I'm sure there's some of that in there, but uh, I think they've got to be really careful what they do. It's um, there was an awesome article on try xtry.com about this, and they went to some of the athletes and talked to them and asked them what they thought about it. They had a few questions. Go check it out. We'll have it in the show notes. Um, but they talked to some athletes like Cameron Brown, Joe Lawn, Kate Major. And Sergio Marquez. Marquez. <laughs> We're not too good at pronunciations yeah. down New Zealand. <laughs> the Kiwis. And uh, there was a general feel that most athletes weren't keen on the change of the location, but their opinions on where it could, they had some opinions on where it could go. So they're kind of maybe open minded. Kate Major and Faris Al Sultan had real strong views against it. I'm actually going to quote what um, Faris had. He had, instead of wasting any energy on shifting the race to a more easily accessible place, where of course you can have more, way more spectators. WTC should try to get a TV crew there with at least twenty cameras, and broadcast the race live from around the globe. Anyone who says that people wouldn't watch is wrong, because there is so much drama on the course, way better than any show or movie, because it's real. Hopes are destroyed, accidents happen, and willpower is seen everywhere. Remember the guy walking with his bike on his shoulder after crashing with the motorcycle. He also had. Um, also, the Big Island stands for loneliness on the course, and WTC mustn't take, make the field any bigger on Hawaii. It should cut back the participants to 1,500 in total. Lastly, he had, uh, we were, we have to make 
Uh, well, to make sure the mama has a lot of babies, but make sure she doesn't get fat and ugly in the process, <laughs> which is quite, you know, quite important, isn't it? Eh? Yeah, I think he brings up a number of really good points there. Um, you, you've got to keep, it is the World Championships. Um, you, you don't want to get too many people out there. And I know when I was there last year, there was, it was just a long, big string of athletes. And I think that's part of the trap that perhaps the short course triathletes have fallen into is, you know, if, if you want to get into the New Zealand age group team, pretty much anybody can get in, really. I mean, I, <laughs> careful. I've got to be careful, but it's, um, I see a lot of athletes. We had our triathlon, Canterbury Triathlon Awards dinner a few weeks ago, and, and a lot of athletes come to see me have been selected in literally their first Olympic distance triathlon. Yep, yep. So I think that um, it becomes a little bit perhaps too easy to get selected. Uh, and so I think that. Ironman Corporation, what we talked about last week with the 70.3, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're creating more ways to get into Hawaii's, but I think they, you know, they should stick to what they've done in the past and have the Ironman races where you qualify, and there's only ex- a small number of people that qualify, and it's really awarding excellence. One of the differences as well is that with an Olympic World Champs is that you have 10, you know, so many races, That's right. you know, it's not just one race, whereas Hawaii, it's mm. everyone's on the same race at the same time, and you know, if your numbers get too big, it is just becomes ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. And another good point that Ferris made there is is really getting more cameras out there. And I know what they do with Ironman New Zealand is they do have quite a few cameras out on the course and have really good coverage on Ironman Live. And uh, looking at why they do, it is a bit boring, you know. Yeah. Um, but you look at hey, look at the Tour de France, and they showed live coverage seven hours a day during the race. And you get you get to see the really exciting bits. You get to see the riders looking each other in the face mm. for for more than just a couple of seconds for five minutes at a time, and you really get to see the tactics. So I think um, if they did have you know lots of cameras out there, they had a couple of cameras dedicated to following the lead guys and the lead girls the whole race. I think we'd see the the little intricacies intricacies of the race a bit more clearly, um, and it would become more exciting. And it'd also help to educate the public and make them more aware of what's actually going on out there, rather than what we always see with Ironman coverage every year is um, the sob stories, which I think they're fantastic yeah, and they're, and they're inspirational and they get people onto the sport. But you know, if, I guess we're coming from a different perspective. We want to see the the hardcore action. Yeah. And um, you know, perhaps they could either even do two broadcasts you know one for the for the general public and then one for the hardcore triathlon public yeah. which which really want to see the elites going head to head and killing each other okay so let's let's look at this so let's say for example that they do move where do you think they'll go first of all which was your oh, opinion that they'd, they'd have to go to mainland usa um and i think because uh, that's where the, the home where that's where they're based and I think logistically that would be easiest for them and that's where I think they'd be able to make the most money. Um, so I think a lot of the feeling with the athletes is they would likely move to Florida. Um, it's reliable weather. I think yep. uh, anywhere sort of southern USA, I think that's where they'd head to. One thing that um, that I was thinking of the other day was that maybe, you know, like because we all think to ourselves Hawaii is the ultimate race, isn't it? You know, like we, we, I think when we all started doing Ironman deep down, somewhere deep inside ourselves, we've all wanted to do Hawaii. And that, you know, if they move away from there, do we lose that? Oh, totally. I mean, that's the thing. It's Hawaii is the world champs. So you're yeah. racing the best, best athletes. But, but it's more than that, isn't it's it? It's more than that. You're racing the course and the conditions. And, that, and that's what makes it so challenging. So um, I, I, I get the point that, um, which you talked about last week, where we're, what about the athletes that perhaps don't deal with the heat so well and they may be the best athletes in the world, like Scott Molina, who was who only won Hawaii, but he was a very, very dominant athlete elsewhere in the world. And what about giving them a chance and, and perhaps, you know, that could be an angle for having, I don't know, a World Series of some description with yep. the top three races or, or something like champs that. around the world? You know, yeah. they have it in different locations each year like they do in the short course? That could, be, that could be an option, but I think they've got to keep Hawaii in the calendar somehow, somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be accepting of them alternating years, maybe going Hawaii one year, elsewhere another year, Hawaii and, and going like that. Was that was a point someone else, I can't remember who wrote the review, <clears> this game was on xtry.com, but someone was saying how maybe just don't have Hawaii as the world champs anymore, just have that as a race, yeah. and uh, that way you can still have the prestige of the race, but the world champs be held elsewhere. Do you think that would lose its value? You know, I think it would, yeah. but um, can't be too reluctant to change. Change is good, and it's always hard to see how that something's going to play out, but uh, I don't know, sentimentally, Hawaii's where it all happens. <laughs> you know, although one thing that I've thought of is that maybe, 
um, you know, it's like sports. The sport creates the star. You know, every sport needs a star. You know, Michael Jordan and basketball, and Tiger Woods and golf. You know, once those guys come along, and to me, it's up to the sport to create the the aura and the prestige and all the rest of it. And if they were to move the event away from Hawaii, the organisation could maybe actually create another type Hawaii type prestige around a race. You know, it may take a few years. That's right. You know, like you know, maybe ten, fifteen years from now, if they move away from it around this time. Florida would be the place, you yeah. know, and, and Hawaii would just be like... But they have, I don't know, they have struggled to create a real star, I think, in the last few years. I guess Natasha Badman's really right up there, but in the guys at the moment, it seems to be so yeah. much change, there hasn't really been that dominant force who's yeah. won year after year <laughs> yeah. after year. And to be honest, it really breaks my heart when we see the latest stuff and they're still showing Mark Allen and David yeah. Scott, you know, I was like, yeah. come on guys, get over it. Yeah, <laughs> They were great, and you know, not taking anything away from what they did, but... Yeah, that was 10, 15 years uh, ago now. But I think that that should be something we could discuss a bit further down the track, and um, we yeah, are looking to have yeah. Scott Molina on the show in a few yeah. weeks' time. But people, the, the guys over there really aren't going any faster, especially in the run. Mm. Um, they're not going any faster. Uh, they're going a bit faster on the bike, um, but I think uh, rather than go into that now, we can yeah, say yeah, that because I think that's a Okay, a so before we topic. leave off the subject, what's good, what's bad about it, just quickly? Um, what's good about it, moving it? Yeah, well, you know, why, you know, let's, let's think, okay, what could be good about it? Uh, I think that they could get more money, more yep. prize money, more sponsorship. And we talked last week <clears> about how the athletes want more money, so maybe it could draw more yeah. athlete prizes. Yeah, so I think that's a, that's a positive view. Um, we could, I think, see guys going quicker. We could see some sub-eight-hour Ironmans, and yep. I think that would be, that yeah, would be quite, amazing, uh, isn't it? that'd be quite cool. Um... Yeah, <laughs> you're struggling. I haven't got too many positives yeah. here. Uh, I guess spectator-wise, we get more spectators out there. It was one big thing I know when I raced Kona compared to, say, racing in Taupo and yep. Ironman New Zealand. Uh, at Ironman New Zealand, we got support all the way along and a lot of very vocal support. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse it's me. cold. In, uh, <laughs> in Hawaii, uh, there was, it was just about non-existent. I mean, you got the support around Kona, around the, the, the township, but when you're out on that highway, that was very, very lonely. Yeah. And that's a, that's a positive and a, and a negative for, for the athlete that creates that loneliness that Ferris talked about and, and really battling yourself against the elements and the competitors. Um, so that's a, that's a positive and a negative. Yeah. Um, personally, I really I loved having all the crowd out there the whole time. Um, yeah. But I guess that's another draw card of Hawaii. You don't get that. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's, it's just a battle. Of the race. Yeah. I suppose the positives, I mean, the things against it are obviously that it's Hawaii. It's the race that we all dream of. Um, the history, you know, this is where Iron Man started. Uh, you can't take away from that as well. Just everyone's individual dream, you know, mm. to get to Hawaii, it's, it's such a journey. And some people go for 10, you know, there's a lady, Shirley from Christchurch, and yeah. you know, she's been doing Iron Man for nearly 10 years, and she's managed to qualify just, you know, New Zealand Iron Man. And, you know, it's just a dream come true for her. And, you know, imagine if they'd said, oh, no, it's actually in Florida this year. Yeah. <laughs> It'd just break her heart. Um, and also... Uh, the holiday factor you know my family came over and you know my whole family came over and watched me do hawaii and you know we stayed on for a couple of weeks after hawaii is such a great location just to actually have a holiday so mm. you know there's definitely there's yeah it's definitely interesting times ahead um let's hope they don't move it so what's happening up in the next kind of period in races well it's not much really yeah. <laughs> the uh the american season is really starting to to wind up i think we mentioned last week's so there's a few 70.3s coming up st croix is on the 7th of may and then it's not really till the end of May that, that the Ironmans really kick into action with Lanzarote on the 29th, the, the 20th of May. God, that's a, that's a bloody hard course, that one. Really wide. It's hard, hilly, hot, windy. Uh, it's, it's got <laughs> so everything. you guys looking it's, forward to that one. Yeah, yeah it's a, a lot of climbing so on the bike. it's a slow race? It's a very slow race. Sea yeah. um, swim, very, very challenging bike. Quite a, quite a flat run, but the bike is just hills the whole really? way. Very, very challenging. So I'd, I'd recommend going and check, checking out the course pro profile for that one just out of interest, um, just to see what we're talking about. And then uh, at the end of the month, we've got both Japan and Brazil. On and, the same uh, day? On the same day. So Japan's always a, a good one, and Brazil get a lot of Americans going down there for a really good party atmosphere, apparently. So and, why, uh, why is that? Just end of the season? Start of the season. Oh, start of the season. Start Australia. of the season. So it's, uh, I think with Arizona, it's a, it's a very, very early season race, and guys have to train through winter for that. Um, but but for an end of May race, they've got a bit of good weather training under their belt, and uh, it's a nice location to go to. Apparently, it's at a um, a sort of a holiday resort, and at that time of the year, it's quite quiet. So oh, so the Ironman really takes over. The place. And we'll see the return of Gordo. The return of Gordo, <laughs> eh? 
coming back into the limelight. Yeah, so that'll be quite interesting to see how he goes. See, um, for, for those of you who don't know Gordo, which I don't think there'll be many of you out there, but Gordo is kind of like a legend in his own right in the Ironman world. Uh, yeah. You want to kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, go to gordoworld.com. Um, I was fortunate enough to know... Uh, Gordo from his very early age when we were in uh, Hong Kong and I was sort of teaching him the ropes. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes. He, he went second at Ironman New Zealand in 2004 and then really had a long break and uh, kicked back into things with Epic Camp in January this year and he well, wasn't a shadow of him for his former self but he certainly wasn't in, um, in super shape. So it'll be interesting to see um, what he does over there. I don't think he'll be going in on the podium um, but I think he'll go, you know, Somewhere, somewhere around nine hours. So yeah, we'll yeah. see, we'll see what happens. Well, he's a pretty decent athlete. I'll call that's it. right. Um, one other thing that's going to be happening. Well, this is actually at the end of this month. Is a three-day Ironman in Ireland. Um, yeah, I just um, yeah, had so. to stumble across that. A, a good website, a good place to look for events. I, I have found is uh, xtry.com. You go into their events section. Really good place to look for events. And I just sort of looking through, see what's coming up. And I saw this three-day Ironman in Ireland. So all you Irish people out there. They do a swim one, do the swim one day. They do the bike the next day, and then they do the run the next day. So it's a broken Ironman. Which, to be honest, would be a killer, eh? Because oh, yeah. imagine having to do the marathon. Day, day one wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, yeah day one's alright. But uh, imagine waking up on the third day with a bit of that fatigue in your legs and having to go out and run a marathon. So we we'll have to look into that because I'm interested to see how popular it is. You know, do they draw yeah. a big field? And, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll maybe do some more research and see how long it's been going for and stuff. One thing we're going to go into in lots of detail next week is Epic Camp. Now, Epic Camp is a, a camp that John, um, Scott Molina, and Gordo uh, put together twice a year. Yeah, usually twice a year. Twice a year, and it's basically it's an it's an epic camp, and uh, you're probably better to talk about it than me, mate. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's something Gordo and Scott developed. Um, Gordo just dragged Scott into it more than anything, <laughs> but it's really a 12-day camp of a fairly extreme training for for elite age groupers. Um We'll talk about sort of the ins and outs of it and how to qualify for it and, and, and exactly what we do perhaps next week. But the camp we have got coming up is Epic Camp France and it is going to be, I think I wrote a press release, a step into the unknown. Um, it's going to be amazing. We're going to be riding over a lot of the routes of the Tour de France. Um, so day one I think we go over about three coals uh, and then we, we start in a place called Po, which is uh, sort of in, on the close to the Pyrenees on the west coast of France. And then we head over a lot of the famous climbs, going up Col de Tourmalet, Hautecam, um, Luzardi Den, uh, doing a lot of those classic ones in the, the early part of the camp. And then we basically ride along the Pyrenees down to a place called Foramo, which is a high altitude training centre in France, where they've got a 50 metre pool and will be situated, I think, at around about 1800 metres. And then we'll be heading back along the Pyrenees, back towards Po. So it'll be a 12 day camp. We generally do anywhere between five and ten hours training a day big days uh some really big days in there some some eight nine hour day hour eight to nine hour bike rides through the mountains so if you are interested in testing yourself to the extreme um have a look at www.epiccamp.com you'll see all the information on the camps we've done in the past Do and it. It uh, changes your life <laughs> it does it's it's amazing uh i've been involved in it both as an athlete training and more recently uh, as as the organizer so it is pretty an inspirational thing to do and i uh, can pretty much guarantee it will lift your iron man performance significantly yeah we had our guy stay with us actually we'll leave that for now we'll actually go on to we're going to spend a bit of time on this next week and i'll uh, tell you a few stories about it um and now to your impressive age my impressive is, is the thing i thought how can i add something it's kind of fun for you guys who are maybe not the top level but into it and um, the impressive age group of the week so i went back and had a look at the results in arizona and this guy's name is a little bit different, and my partner's Dutch, and my partner Annalise is Dutch, and she kind of told me how to say it. It's Leif Rijsmussen. Okay. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Was he so, Amer- where was he from? Uh, he's actually American. Yeah. So, but he did it. He did his. Um, I'm sure makes his first Ironman. He did a 55 swim, a 5:44 ride, and a 14:14 run. I mean, a 4:14 run. 11:06 overall. Finished 206. But the impressive thing about Leif was that he's only 18 years old, and uh, to me, just to do an Ironman at that age is Pretty impressive. I know maybe ideally it's not 
you know, your best path, you know, from yeah. coach's corner over here. <laughs> it's uh, maybe not the thing to do. But, you know, I think back when I was 18, the last thing on my mind was, you know, thinking about doing an Ironman. Yeah, I guess, you know, um, with my coach's hat on, uh, eight, there's, there's different sorts of 18-year-olds, you know. Yeah. If you're really well-developed at 18, um, it's probably not such a bad thing. Um, but if you're 18 and you're still growing, um, yeah. it probably could do you a bit of harm. But I guess at the end of the day, is, is a, the, the thing is if he was training as a full-time Ironman and he was doing lots of Ironman at that age, I'd probably say isn't the safest thing yeah. to do. But if he just sort of did a maybe a summer of training, just sort of, I want to go out there and complete the distance. Um, yeah. But yeah, good on him. I'm, I'm well impressed because when I was 18, <laughs> there's about woman, girls, <laughs> alcohol, and a little bit of training on the side, but I was hardly the focused athlete. So he's our impressive age group of the week. So, you know, if you're going to be doing an Ironman and you want us to check it out, give us an email. At, um, it's actually bevanjames at gmail.com at the stage and you can get that on the email and the website but we're actually going to get this week it's my goal for the week is to get our own email address and it'll probably be ironmantalk at gmail.com I better do that straight out otherwise someone will go on there and take it from us <laughs> so um, yeah so this week I'll be doing that um, lastly in the news we've got a bit of news about one of the manufacturers of one of the biggest products that we all have out there, and that's Ironman wetsuits. They're uh, changing their names. That's right. Um, they're proudly a Kiwi company. It's uh, it's quite interesting, actually. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. No, we, we actually produce all the best wetsuits in the world. Wow. Um, it's Kiwi. It's got to <laughs> be good. It's got to be good. Um, so we've got Orca, which is a New Zealand-based um, wetsuit company, and obviously do a lot of clothing. Very, you know, one of the most yeah. dominant ones out there. And they've really done well in a short time, haven't they? They have, yeah. and uh, and Ironman wetsuits um, as well, which is another New Zealand company, both based in Auckland. <laughs> and uh, and so it's it's fantastic for New Zealand, um, small country doing well. But yeah, Ironman wetsuits uh, have changed their name to Blue Seventy, so it's a rebranding exercise. Um, and Blue Seventy comes from where? Blue Seventy is it's going to blue70.com and it tells you about it. It's uh, the word, the planet is made up seventy percent water, so oh, seventy percent blue. <laughs> Do we like so, the name? I think it's all right. Um, I think again, what we talked a little bit before. There's always a bit of resistance to change. Um, and when I first heard it, I thought, oh, I don't know about that. But it's actually grown on me already. It's only been out there for a, a fairly short period of time. Um, but I think it's a good name. I think it's getting away from being cornered in with uh, Iron Man, and I think that's probably one of their reasons is they've, they've suffered where they have only been associated with Ironman. And, and whenever you go to a race out there, I think you see, especially in New Zealand and perhaps when I've raced overseas, you do see a lot of um, orcas and a lot of the yep. other competitors out there in the short course side of things. And when you go to an Ironman race, you see a lot of Ironman wetsuits. Yep. So I think by changing their name, they're just trying open to open, open up the market a bit more. Um, and it's a great rebranding exercise. You look at their new suits, I reckon they look really cool. Yep. Um, a few new colors, a few new styles. Really uh, website's good. So I think it's a positive move, and I think it also opens up doors for, for going into other markets. You know, I think that's what we talked about before we started the show, is when you call yourself your company Iron Man Wetsuits, yeah. there's only really one thing you can make. I'd love to know as well if it's much cheaper for them on the licensing fee side of things, because surely, yeah, this is just me, me being a stingy bum again, but <laughs> um, I'd love to know, you know, obviously when you're going to use Iron Man as your main name, you're paying a pretty huge licensing fee, and I'm, they still have the Iron Man brand on their wetsuit, and, but it's pretty minor now, so I'd be interested to see if they were paying less a fee, although I doubt they'd discard that information to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they would somehow, but uh, I'm sure that's part of their reasoning is, is they don't want to be... 100% reliant on yeah, Iron Man. On that market. So, um, I think it's to see what happens. Eh? Yeah, I think it's a positive move and um, and good luck to them. It'd be a huge marketing cost, and you know, like changing your name. It's not a cheap process. Oh, totally. It? Yeah. yeah. Changing all your, your logos or mm. your, uh, completely changing your, your, your order run with the companies. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think the wetsuits are actually made in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, I'm sure aren't either. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no. think many things are made in New Zealand nowadays. No, but, uh, <laughs> but I, think, I think it's a good move. Well, well bring it on. Okay, so we've got our first ever guest in here in the, the magnificent Iron Man Talk studio. Um, we've got Karen Balance. Um, got, this is the first time we've ever had anybody in here, and we've only got a, we've got a large number of listeners out there. So Karen's got a pretty spectacular CV. She's uh, won Iron Man New Zealand in 2002, had a huge amount of podiums on Iron Man races around the world, and, uh, and running is really Karen's strength. She tends to mow people down on the field uh, towards towards the end of the race, and we've seen her do that in New Zealand many, many times. So welcome along to the show, Karen. G'day, guys. So we're just going to have a bit of an interview with Karen, find out a bit about what she's done in the past, what's coming up in the future, and, uh, and cover a number of topics. 
So probably the most uh, recent one for you, Karen, is you had uh, Ironman New Zealand come up uh, a few weeks ago. It was pretty tough conditions, and obviously we've, we've talked about the race that was really was abbreviated into a bit of a sort of a duathlon-type race with a, a 90k bike and a 21k run. Um, you got second there. How, how did you find the day go for you? Um, I found it a really interesting and fascinating day um, and bizarre and disappointing all at the same time. Um, I really enjoyed, I'm probably one of only a few people that really enjoyed the day, how it was quite different. Um, Yeah, what were you going to say, Going through the race, I mean, did you really nail the start of the bike or did you hold back and then really try to hammer the run? Well, even not just even talking about the race, I think the race started um, for everybody at, 6.30 in the morning or quarter past six when it seemed to be that the conditions were going to be were going to play a huge factor and that people needed to start thinking about what was going to happen later on in the day and for me personally that's when the race started and I noticed a number of people around me just didn't handle how how things were going to change and and I felt that the race started then um, and I had an awesome team around me um, to try and work out tactics and, and what was going to go on. So you ask about how did the 21K and the 90K go for me. I felt, uh, I thought I was it was my race to lose and I did lose it. Um, uh, the, the wind was so strong and my husband told me afterwards and so did my girlfriend, they felt that I've never been good on a headwind coming back and it was a chronic tailwind all the way out. And I gained five seconds on Joe at the turnaround, Joe Lawn, and then for forty k's back, I just struggled, um, and I lost four minutes. And you know, forty k's. So, um, and when I saw Scott, he just said, "Change down," because I was pushing a really oh, big okay. gear, really slow. But I've always, I'm going to work on that because you have to work on it for Hawaii. So it's a really good lesson. I'm, I'm pleased it all happened, yep. but um, it didn't suit me. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I thought from a racing perspective, it was it was really an interesting race for the pros, and I think it, it was a, a different element. Um, and and I didn't really feel too bad for the pros. I thought you still got to go out there and have a really good, strong race, and it was something a bit different. So I thought you did really well. I was, I was reading a thing on from Cameron Brown yesterday actually, and he was saying that he's he didn't understand why it still couldn't have been a ninety a hundred and eighty and and a forty two run, and that. Um, you know, I mean, you know, bugger the conditions. If it's windy, it's windy. What, did you feel the same way? or? Yeah, I was really blown away by that decision because the day before at the press conference, um, you know, it was really windy and strong and I'd been for a swim that morning in the water and um, I was prepared to do the swim, but we were told if the weather's like this, the swim will be off and there's a contingency plan, there'll be a 180k bike ride and a 42k run. So, I mean, that was sweet went to bed that night and it, it totally calmed down but then at three o'clock I heard the wind as strong as it was the day before and I didn't get excited but <laughs> thought okay you know the yeah. swim might be off Which um, is your but don't so. think about that yeah. and got up in the morning said to my girlfriend look we need to take some more food down to the start of the race in case the race is delayed and you know we're waiting down there longer I took a sleeping bag just was totally organized for it really not to be on yep. but in saying that I, I warmed up as I was planning to do this time I was going to do a better swim warm-up so I took some drills to do and I was the only one using bands and stuff until 6 30 and it yeah and then we were told the swim was going to be off like about quarter to seven or something and um I couldn't believe that that it was turned into such a short race, but I became aware the more the longer we waited, I realised that obviously they can't get everyone off the course. The age groupers and stuff. Yeah. yeah, but then I suppose we were then meant to be there at quarter past eight and didn't get the news till after nine o'clock. And um, even I mean, we could have started the race at eight o'clock and had a whole full, full course. Mm, I, I was yeah. bl- blown away by that. I mean, when we went back after, when we were told to come back at quarter past eight, our team went back to our little batch and talked about all the options. And Scott said, um, oh, you know, what if it's a 21K, you know, 90K? And I just said, oh, don't be stupid. And then we talked about all the other options, like maybe but, 130, yeah. 30 or something like that. Never talked about 2190. Just I couldn't believe that it could be so short. Oh, yeah.
I think it's one of those things that we're all going to be fascinated for for a long time. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. uh, I guess one thing, it has created a lot of debate. And and, and while Mm. it really sucks that it happened, I think it's probably set a precedence for for future races that their Ironman directors are going to have a better contingency Mm. plan. And and I think that's... You know, I loved it. I loved the absolute challenge. And it was a total mental challenge of how you had to to stay relaxed and calm through the whole thing. I mean, we were called in to ask... How, how the pros wanted to start the race and gosh it was drama trying you know those yeah. putting their hands up who wanted a bulk start or those who wanted a time trial and um oh, i was just fascinating wow. and yeah. then i absolutely loved the start like that is going to have to go down in my probably top five of the most amazing things i've ever done it wow. felt like really? the tour de france oh, really? it was wicked yeah you know, that was awesome. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so it was in kind of an iron event. <laughs> so, I mean, I would have entered a race like that. Yeah. So, you know, well, it didn't always, worry me. I've always been a big advocate because I, I think it sucks in the Olympics that we've only got the triathlon, the Olympic distance triathlon. I always think we should have a, a time trial race in there. I mean, yeah. you look at the swimmers and they've got about 100 medals to go for in triathlon. Yeah, we've yeah. got six. Yeah, true. And so why couldn't we have an Olympic distance triathlon like they've got? which is um, usually tailored a bit more towards the runners because yeah. it's um, you can, draft on, you can draft on the bike. But why not have, say, a sprint distance individual time trial? Maybe that's a topic for another day. <laughs> Sounds but, good um, to me. But I think that's a, that's a way forward. So that's what's happened recently for you, Karen. What's the, the sort of the general plan for the rest of this year? The plan is to do Hawaii and the, the Ironman, and that's it. Um, last year I, was, uh, I chased Hawaii slots uh, around the world and was also tried to get uh, better from an injury and sickness and this year I don't need to plan on doing anything like that and I'm no. just the whole year is focused towards Hawaii so I'm looking forward to that. Now that's, that kind of leads into a question we can touch on now is why you know obviously you chased those slots around the world there was a reason for that do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah well in 2004 November um, I raced in the Western Australian Ironman and I was second across the line, and in New Zealand, Fiona Doherty was third across the line. And the girl that won the race, Rebecca Keat, um, was found positive, um, failed a drugs test. And for the last year and a half, we found out in January that January 2005 that she failed the test. But since then, she's appealed um, the Australian Drug Agency's ruling of her failing the drug test and also appealed the... Um, the ban of two years that was put in place for her Um, and that took a long time and finally in early February this year it became public that Triathlon Australia announced that she has failed her appeal and she does have a two-year ban. Okay so do you become the winner of the race? Well essentially but I haven't been told yet by the race organisers. And how long ago was that? Well, yeah, a year that's and a half. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's been a year and a half since we've been since I've been moved up, but I can't be moved up really until it, all this has been finished. Yep. and it did finish um, over two months ago. Prize money? Will you, will you see any more prize money? Well, at the moment, um, Fiona and I have had no. It's just been unbelievable um, how Western Australian Ironman have just kind of ignored really well not ignored the thing but I mean Rebecca Keat won by absolutely miles yeah. on the yeah. day she, she by about, about 20 minutes, minutes. Yeah. and a big thing was made of that and yet since this positive drugs test has come out everything's been really quiet um. and and I find that incredibly <clears throat> disappointing and and they have, they have ignored our emails we constantly had to email them last year to find out what was going to happen with her um, Hawaii slot. Yeah, yeah. Well, they wouldn't give it up. Yeah. So Fiona and I had to go and qualify overseas. Well, obviously only one of us was yeah. going to get the slot. Um, I went all the way to Lake Placid injured. And, um, well, no, I was finally not injured, but I hadn't done a lot of training. Got 10th place, so I was lucky enough to get a slot. And, um, oh, yeah, I got a little slot from Lake Placid. Three weeks later, the race organisers give the slot to Fiona, who had also <laughs> pulled out of like of Canada because she was stuffed, I think she was yeah. just too tired. And then the ironic thing is, Fiona didn't actually race in Hawaii, but that doesn't matter. But we've just been struggling the whole time, and they're ignoring us, so we've had to call in a triathlon New Zealand to help us. Wow, I think that's um, it's probably going to lead on to another question we've got here: is 
in Ironman, unlike triathlon, there is no sort of governing body. It's it's run mm. as a business. And that's sort of going to lead us into something we talked about last week, which is this triathlon professionals organization that, that you've become a part of. Um, I'm, I don't know a huge amount about it. I have been receiving the emails and just had a bit of a look, look around the site. But do you want to just give us a brief overview of, of your role and sort of what the objectives of the organization are? Well, I probably know as much as you, <laughs> even though I'm the New Zealand spokesperson. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's an organisation for professional athletes to try and have a say in in Ironman, and I think it's a brilliant idea. And um, we're trying to have, we've just voted for an international speaker that's going to speak for all of us. Um, but it's very much just to have a say about changing rules and, and the way Ironman is going. And, and I think it's a changing sport at the moment. And I think it's really applicable that we're going to be having having a say. I mean, they would have been able to deal with this Ironman Western Australia thing. Yep. We would have approached them. But it's, um, you know, it happened a bit too soon. So do you already have objectives you are going for? Like, you know, like what's... Yeah, I think they're going, they're looking at the drafting rule. Yep. Um, I found that really fascinating at the press conference oh, yeah, in hilarious. Hawaii last year. That was amazing. The, um... Oh, fill me in. I wasn't there. Wow. There was, uh, what was the guy? Uh, the, the guy who broke the bike course record, he was up in arms because they've changed the drafting rule from being, I think it was seven metres from back wheel to front yep. wheel, and now they've changed it from seven metres from back wheel to back wheel. So effectively oh, the draft really? distance is five metres, and you still gain quite a significant... Yeah, I mean, you gain a significant advantage at, at seven, seven metres... Yeah. And then they've changed it to five meters, and an Ironman Corporation were claiming that they've gone into the Ford wind testing tunnels and they've done tests saying it's oh, the okay, same to thing. Justify it. And I, I think most people found that one a little hard to believe. Wow. Um, and, and this was the day before the Ironman, but <laughs> oh, I mean, really? we did know the rule. Well, I'd already raced in, a, in an Ironman race earlier with in the year with mm. that rule, and. Um, but then it was amazing, all the Germans st- stood up. They were busy at the back of the room just chatting and chatting, and then there'd be suddenly five metres, all in German, and then five metres, and then all of a sudden they just stood up. They These erupted. big guys, <laughs> they, happy. they were really pissed off. Oh, you can understand. But that yeah. wasn't yeah. the time and place to do it. No. Right? The rules there, the race was the next day, yeah. and uh, all the professionals were sitting in there, so it was probably a, a good time to get the, to voice their opinions, but um, perhaps we're hopefully where this triathlon professionals organisation is coming from is this can be... Uh, a growing thing that, that they can get these things sorted out, you know, months and months in advance and, and try and work with the Ironman Corporation. So hopefully Ironman Corporation listen to these guys um, and can and, and can be and can everybody can be happy. It can everybody can be a win win situation. Do um so okay. I just pointed <laughs> to the next question. <laughs> I've got the next question. Okay, so one thing about you is that you're a pro athlete, um, pro Ironman, but you actually still work, which to me is really impressive because um, I'm an Ironman and I hardly work and even that's a struggle you know like how do you how do you manage that um, I find that I am either either all on or all off so at the moment I'm not training for anything and so I've got loads of time so I can put a lot more time into my work um, when I'm training for a race and working I drop a few hours but I do find that my life's just a one big massive timetable and you get up with an alarm at 5.30 and you don't have dinner till, I don't know, 7.30, 8 o'clock at night and you're just living from one thing to another and you're kind of rushing. So yeah. it's a big change from being nice and relaxed how I am now to to living like that. But that's only for like three months of the year. What's what's your profession? I'm a podiatrist. Oh, very good. Nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and so, has got a nice pair of smelly feet. Yeah, there, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work on smell. Um, so how many hours a week would you train in your peak periods? Yeah, I saw you guys. Um, I train probably about 20, 20 to 22 hours a week. I don't train as much as most people. Oh, really? So, um, yeah. And but that doesn't include well. going to the gym and, and lots of massages and physio appointments. So they do take up extra time, but yeah. that's kind of active swim, bike, run. Yeah. Wow. I think there's big variation in the amount of training guys do. You know, yeah. Some yeah. guys do monster, monster training. They do sort of consistently sort of 30 to 35 hours yeah. um, and there's a huge amount of variation and uh, it's working out it's horses for courses really yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know when I was training for Ironman New Zealand last year I the way I structured my plan is I had a few big weeks I had epic camp um, as, as my really peak peak volume but uh, like the same I was I was working the same as Karen and, and 
and I was really just training 15 to 20 hours a week yeah. um, but just really focusing on my key sessions you know and making those ones really count rather than going for huge volume which mm. I think huge volume can work but it's really I think you've got to be a full-time athlete to really so more in certain bits I, mm. I agree with you I do it in certain two-week blocks mm. and, so do you yeah. have you ever considered being fully pro uh no because um because I don't do a lot of training I, I just couldn't justify I wouldn't train any more than I do okay. I, I just have more downtime um I took time off last year I had a month off uh work six weeks probably before Hawaii last year and that was amazing but it took crikey about three weeks or at least two to um to not to, to not feel guilty and right. I did have a lot of time I wasn't doing anything and yeah. it felt weird do you think you could, uh, I mean, because we've talked about this again last week, mm. that a lot of the Ironman athletes, they call themselves pros, but really they're on the bones of their asses. Do you think you could make a, a career out of this and make enough money that fulfill your other, your lifestyle? Yeah, no yeah. way. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I've got to have a job too. Yeah. But then a girlfriend of mine said that you shouldn't have that as an excuse for not training full time. Mm. And, and yeah. I don't use that as an excuse. So that's yeah. why I didn't want to bring that up. Um, yeah. yeah. I can't say that money's the reason. I like having other things in my life. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love having too. totally different things. You know, you, I see lots of different patients Talk and to people. people and, other things yeah, than I yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but you've been uh, you have been racing for a number of years. I know you used to do short course. Did you race at the World yeah. Champs in Wellington? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you've, you've done there some you short course stuff. So you've done a lot the of racing. Days, the good eh? old days. <laughs> you've done plenty of racing around the world. What's your favourite event in the world and why? Yeah. Um. Nowadays, I choose to do races um, for for experience and um, not just experience. Um, Have you done Roth? Yeah. You like Roth? Yeah. I mean, so I, I go to choose to do different places. So you can actually see have them, experience around but as well. That yeah. would have to be my favourite race. Why? Um, the crowds are unbelievable. Really just unreal uh, you know i'll never ever forget if anyone asks me i always tell the story of um approaching the solarberg hill you have to go up it twice and it, you go through this town and i was i knew it was coming up and you go through the town and then you do a right hand corner um a 90 degree turn at the bottom of through this town and the right hand corner is where the solarberg is and i looked in front of me and I, the whole town's deserted and i could just see the little um sponsor sign at the end of the, the bend where I was going to be going up and I approach the corner and then you turn right and go up this hill and I, I really almost wet my pants it was unbelievable <laughs> there was seven people deep either side for really? like a k and a half or however long wow. it is it was unreal wow. it was just amazing cool uh, yeah, well. all right We'll go there one day, Bevan. Yeah. Oh, it's wicked. Yeah, someone want to sponsor really us wicked. to get us here, we'll take, we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're currently, we're, we do have free advertisements yeah, yeah. On, <laughs> on the show. So if you're a big, rich, yeah. somebody wants some coverage. Millions. We'll go and do it. Well, on, on sponsors, who are your sponsors? Give them a plug. Yeah, I've had huge help um, ever since I started Triathlon. Well, not, yeah, um, great support from Essex. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. They've yeah. been with me the whole way through triathlon, so that's really nice. Um, Bolle yep. and Scotty Brown's Go Scotty Brown's, eh? Christchurch. <laughs> it's a yeah. local bike shop in Christchurch, a bit of a local legend, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Eh? I think that's one thing on sponsors, long-term stuff, is you've got to, you've got to, communication's the key with sponsors, and yeah. if, you, yeah. if you keep them informed of what you're doing, um, yeah. they're usually pretty happy and they'll, I'll Actually, that's probably you. another cover area mm. we could cover is how to get sponsorship, mm. even for age groupers, because you know mm. this isn't a cheap sport, is it? Mm. No, exactly, no, and definitely mm. not. Um, one thing I always like to ask pro athletes and, and top athletes is what your favourite workout is. I know I've got some particular ones that I really like to do as sort of key workouts. Do you have any particular ones that you really like to do, say, in your main part of your build up? Um. I, I love my long runs. Is that mm -hmm. the kind of thing yeah, you want to know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely love going for a long run. Um, I was thinking back to, I mean, I, I'd, you sometimes I'd meet a girlfriend um, in Sumner and we'd run up Evans Pass, and this would be in the middle of winter, I'll remember. It's often the hardest ones that you remember. Yeah. Or the, the, yeah. yeah. And we'd go up, we must have met at 6 o'clock in the morning in July, up Evans Pass all along the black dark of the morning until probably the sun came up about seven and then as the sun came up you're 
running along beside the um, godly head and yeah. the waves oh, crashing in. Yeah. That's and, where your favourite run is Best run in the world. There you one. go. And at that time of day, it's wicked. And Christchurch is the best awesome. place in the world to train. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubting it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Just um, lastly, who's been your biggest influence? Oh, without a doubt, my husband, Scott Balance. And Scott has a history in the sport too, doesn't well, he? Yeah. Scott has also won Ironman yeah. New Zealand. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, legend is. And why? 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 Why has he been such a big influence? Uh, because he's just taught me so much without actually realizing that he's teaching me something. Or um, he's got a huge amount of patience, and he's got skills that I definitely don't have. Yeah. And um, he he's been amazing, huge. Uh, seems like it's very much a partnership when you're out there racing. Yeah, oh, it definitely is. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. took him a while to get used to being a supporter because he can't race anymore. Yeah. Um, but he's getting better at it. Oh, yeah, well, That's kind of nice too, isn't it? Yeah, It's kind of a happy feeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll finish on a happy <laughs> feeling, shall we? <laughs> oh, well, thanks for coming along today, Karen. Yeah, that's it's cool. been fantastic. And uh, Karen's a great athlete, so keep supporting her around the world when you see her out there. Yeah. She'll uh, be out there in Hawaii, so if you're out there watching or... Do you, have a web page? Do, you have a, do you have a website? No. no. Maybe, we can, maybe no. we can make one up for yeah, you. Yeah, we can whip up a website, yeah. <laughs> but we always put links to. Good luck for the rest of your season. Yeah, Thanks good luck in Hawaii. Bring yeah. it on. We'll, we'll keep you listeners updated on how Karen goes to the races around the world. Yeah. That's cool. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Right, now we're going to go into a, a new name for this part of the show, and it's called Coach's Corner. Brought to you by triathloncoach.net. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, Coach's Corner. <laughs> okay, so what are we covering today, mate? We're going to go into... Um, lactate testing and training zones so it's just going to be a general overview of it um but i think it's an area that a lot of athletes have got questions on and uh and i know from personal experiences when i get athletes to do lactate tests a lot of them haven't done it before and so it is something you can do with yourself you do need to go and buy a bit of equipment um but maybe a couple of mates can can go out there and and purchase the equipment which we'll talk about later on and uh, it's the most accurate way to, to set your training zones and, and make sure that your perceived efforts actually match up with with what your body's actually doing. Okay, so I'm a real dummy. I don't know nothing about anything. What yep. is a lactic test? Um, we'll oh, go, I do, but we'll just... Go, we'll go into training intensity first because um, I just want to clear up the way I interpret it so when I start talking about different zones, people know what I'm going on about. Um, but training intensities can be a scale... Of anywhere between one and ten there's, there's lots of different ones out there um, the one that I personally use uh, is John Hallman's training intensity guide um, and that's a five scaled intensity zones and it's on your website it's on my website we'll put a link up yeah, onto that and yeah. uh, then our program notes but it basically goes through five zones the first one is easy second one is steady yep. third one is moderately hard fourth one is hard and fifth one is very hard now most athletes tend to either go easy or hard and they don't really have those different zones so it is really important to develop five distinct different speeds um, but really you've just got to settle into what is comfortable with you if your coach uses a different different terminology go with that but my personal belief is you should only really have five to six different zones um, now you find most coaches may have different terminologies but surely it all means pretty much it is things. i mean if you go say polar for example they when they hand out their heart rate monitors they've got uh, i think five zones and they put it in a percentage value yep. so i think the key thing is that you really have around about five maximum maybe six different zones um, otherwise it just starts to get too complicated um, and also just another point as we go through this um, a lot of my Theory is based off John Hallerman's um, research into this area, and I sell his training intensity hand handbooks um, via my website. Again, we'll put a link up onto that. They're very cheap, but that'll explain in more detail exactly how to do a lactate test um, and the different training systems you're working on, and so on. So uh, we'll put a link onto that as well. Okay, then. So what are the um, the training zones? Right. So we'll go into how to set these zones. Um, I generally use two methods like we talked about, a, a lactate test, um, which I'll go into, and also a maximum heart rate test. So if you don't have either lab facilities or don't have testing facilities, um, you can do a maximum heart rate test and then estimate your zones off that. There are other ways um, as well to set your Ironman speeds as well. But actually to go into how to do a lactate test, you use a different protocol obviously for the run of the bike. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll just go through, uh, firstly, a, a running lactate protocol. Um, key thing is, probably the most important thing is that you always have an easy day before you do a test. If you go and do a test when you're tired or a bit smoked, um, the results will be pretty 
just wrong. pointless. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. if you're really tired, you'll struggle to get your heart rate up. If you're feeling sluggish, you won't be able to get to the really high lactate readings. So key thing is, first thing you do, you always need to take a an easy day or pretty much a day off the day before. Um, the equipment you need, you need to do a running test on the track, or running around a, a 400 meter grass or or all surface track, or preferably you can also do it on a on a treadmill uh, and have somebody actually helping you out there, taking your blood samples, changing the speeds and so on. So those are two ways you can do the run test. Um, the equipment you need also is to get a lactate tester. Um, so you, there's a, a brand out there called Lactate Pro. We'll yep. put a link. There's a link that. on the website, and it's going to cost around 400 US. Yeah, um, it, it varies a bit. Um, the little units like yeah, about 400 US. We just had a quick check. Um, with that, it's it's one of, it's a piece of equipment you're not going to use a lot. So maybe you could get together with your triathlon club, or maybe five or six friends, and uh, you know put it together and yeah, yeah. And just use it yeah, it's not something you're going to use every week is it no but but it is it's actually a very economical way of doing it because if you do actually go to a lab and get a test done um yeah it's, it's yeah it's about 100 bucks isn't it'd it it'd be, be easy 100 us most places maybe up to 150 us yeah sure you, then they do the interpretation of the data as well but uh this is a good way the key thing with these tests is that the first test you're going to do you're going to good that's that's useful information yeah. but what becomes really powerful is further down the track yeah. um when you can compare your information so it's a bit like doing a time trial you hopefully shift your lactate curve a little bit yeah um so that's the equipment you need uh and before you even start to do a test you need to do a reasonable warm-up uh so about five minutes easy warm-up uh and then you have two or three minutes before you actually start the test just just chilling out and you've got to remember whenever you're taking a lactate sample you've always got to ensure that you're if you're taking the sample from your ear or for your finger that it's nice and dry and you're not getting any sweat interfering with the uh the sample you're providing okay so always wipe down yep always wipe your finger or, or it's it, when we say you're taking a blood sample it is only a, a tiny little yeah, it's drop a dot of blood, blood. um yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really is a tiny little dot if you're a good bleeder sometimes you only need to make a couple of little incisions and yeah. you can use those like a pinpoint before. prick have you, have you done yeah, one yeah, or I've not? Done them yeah. you, and they just yeah. basically pinned a little prick in my finger yeah and then had the little tube and yeah it really doesn't but hurt. it wasn't a problem it really doesn't and hurt it wasn't painful um so the actual test when you get rolling is uh on a treadmill with my notes here uh, you've got to remember to have the treadmill at around about one and a half percent gradient, so it's yep. not dead flat. And as I said, do a little bit of a warm up, five minutes easy jogging, just nice and easy. Have a bit of rest, and then you start the test. Um, now, really, where you want to be starting the test is so you're around about fifty beats below your maximum heart rate, so it should be pretty darn easy. Um, maximum heart rate. Maximum heart rate. Is that a two twenty minus your age? Is that, that what that's one on? way of estimating it? Yeah. Um, but what I'll go through again is when you do this test before you actually do it you want to do a couple of practices okay. so you don't want to go in fresh so if we, we, we can estimate your maximum heart rate off the age one or we can go out a little do a little maximum heart rate test which I'll, I'll explain later on um, but you want to start off pretty easy so it's easy jogging for the first one and then you basically your blocks are going up in four minutes so every four minutes you're increasing by one kilometer per hour so if you're in America and you're on miles per hour um, try and change your yeah, you speed. speed over to kilometers, or I guess you could go up in half mile increments. Nice, that was a good yeah. work there. Okay. <laughs> that was a quick guesstimate. <laughs> so that's a little less than a k an hour, but that, that's what you want to be doing. So you do a four minute step, and then you take a uh, you jump off the treadmill for a moment, and you get so your you pin physically prick. stop. You physically stop. Yep. Jump off. You take a little pin prick. Uh, take the sample. So you need somebody there to be helping you, who can be your tester, and then you jump back on the treadmill and you increase the speed by one kilometer per hour. When you're doing this, you've got your heart rate monitor on all the time, and your little testing buddy is just monitoring your heart rate and actually writing your heart rate down every minute so we can get a good uh, indication of what your heart rate's doing as well as your lactate. As those are the two key things we need to, to correlate together. Um, so yeah, at that four-minute mark, you jump off. Um, you tell your tester also what your perceived effort is on a scale of one to five, so one being easy, five being very hard. Decimal points are fine, so you can go, that felt like a 2.5, or that felt like a, a 3.2 or 3.5, probably 0. 0.5. 3.167. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> could get really tricky, but generally sort of probably 3.5, yeah. 3. Yeah, going in 0.5s, halves. Um, they record your heart rate, and then you jump back on uh, straight away, and you start you increase that speed by one kilometer per hour. The idea is you want to be having at least sort of five to six steps, 
as you're going through uh, and you're taking that lactate and you're really going up to a speed that you're going pretty much as hard as you can. Um, those last few steps are, the, are quite important. Um, you've got to make sure that you get above four millimoles of lactate. So that might not mean too much to you now, um, but that's really the key, one of the key readings you're looking for is four millimoles of lactate because that is, for most people, what your lactate threshold is. So you want to definitely get to that and ideally get at least one step beyond four millimoles of lactate. Um, so like I said, the key thing is that you do practice this. So before you go down and do the test, go down, get on the treadmill, start at the level that you think is about right for you, increase it every four minutes, see how many steps you've got, um, and then maybe practice it again before you go off and do the test. Because while we did say that the, getting the little unit is about $400, so if you, you square that up between yep. three or four of you, it's probably not going to be that much. What does cost uh, a little bit is the little strips that you have to buy, um, which actually Each take time. samples. Yep. So they're not extortionately expensive, but, but you don't want to waste waste money on them. So it's a pra practice a few times and then you'll be right. So that's how you do um, a test uh, on the treadmill. If you're going to do a test on the a running test on the track, um, you pretty much same that follow the similar protocol, but you do five times one mile on the track. So your steps are a bit longer, and then you take your little sample um, every mile. You'll have your little tester there. And the idea is that you're running to a set heart rate. So previously you're running to a set speed. Um, for this one, you estimate what your heart rate is, 50 beats below for the first one, and then you just run to that heart rate. So you don't worry about anything else. So you're going to spend time looking at your watch while yeah. you're running? Yeah, you're just staring at your watch, and you're just running to that heart so rate. So this was a kind of good pacing, isn't it? Yeah, so it's a good mm -hmm. pacing exercise. Mm -hmm. um, and again, we'll put these up on the program notes, uh, but it's pretty, pretty much the same test, but you're out on the track doing five times one mile, and you're running to heart rate. Um, and again, when you come in after each mile, same as before, you tell your tester your perceived effort, you tell them what your heart rate's been sitting on just to make sure that you have been on the right heart rate. And then they take the, the lactate sample and then you're off again and you start onto your new test. Um, what, what we're actually gonna do as well is I'm gonna put up a, a link to, to my site where I've actually got a, a sample of a test that I did on the bike. I rode like a bit of a pussy. So don't judge me. <laughs> the excuses are already coming. I've, I'm always told I test like an absolute pussy, but then... Broke um, my heart because I did it, and I thought I was a real legend, and they go, oh, yeah, mate, cyclists do twice as much as you. Yeah. So um, I was like, know, yeah, I'm doing really well, and he goes, yeah, that's, that's okay. Yeah, so you just uh, don't don't compare your tests with other people. Yeah. Uh, there's so many other influences out there when you race, and uh, it's not always the most talented athlete that wins a race, I can guarantee you of that. Yeah. So... Um, so don't worry about what other people's tests are doing. So do we have a bike protocol? Yeah, we have the bike protocol. Again, it's similar to um, similar to the the run protocol. You warm up five minutes, nice and easy. And you, the key when you do the bike one though is you do need to have access to watts. Um, so whether you've got a power meter on your bike or whether you ride on a compu trainer, um, but it is pretty important to have ac uh, access to watts. And you generally start at around about 100 to 150 watts, um, and then again you go up and fork four minute increments where you increase the wattage by 25 watts. Um, elite athletes probably start a bit higher, about 150 to 175. I think looking at my results, I think I started at about 175 watts and was going up there. But you don't want to start too high, otherwise you yeah. won't get those low readings, especially for your Ironman guys. It's really important to figure out those lower readings, the steady steady zone, because that's really what your Ironman pace my, is my going to be My partner actually did the test and she started too high and it was yeah. a bad result for that reason because... She started so high that she didn't achieve so far to go and that the result was pretty much a waste of time. Yeah, so yeah. waste of time, waste of money. Yeah. Um, but again, it's something. If, as long as you practice it a couple of times... It's not about being a hero, basically, is it? Yeah. You know, it's about, yeah. You've got to go in there and get five or six good readings and that's what's going to give you a good yeah. result. So again, as with the, the running test, you increase every four minutes, 25 watts. Um, again, you take your lactate sample. This time, you don't have to actually get off the bike, though, uh, so you just keep riding. So when you actually take the lactate, you take it 30 seconds before the start of next, the next step. So when you get to the 3 minute 30 mark, you take your lactate sample and you tell your, your, your tester all your, your signs you need to give them, your perceived effort. Um, they, they're looking at your heart rate the whole time and they take your lactate. And then, so when you hit four minutes, then your power goes up and you don't have to worry about mucking around doing your lactate. So you take the lactate at the end of each, uh, each step. <coughs> Excuse me, this damn cold. <laughs> um, but yeah, you need to record that heart rate again every minute. Um, if you've got a heart rate monitor, which you can download information onto your PC, like the Polar 625, 
it's or very useful or a Mac <laughs> <laughs> I like my Apple <laughs> um, but again the aim is to have five or six completed stages um, and making sure that you get over four millimoles of lactate um, you don't I mean you don't really need to actually push to complete collapse because those yeah. top few readings aren't really that relevant especially for Ironman athletes but it is important that you do because once you get above four you've got your result haven't you exactly yeah. so yeah. so that's the key thing getting above four um, and making taking one more step but once you really feel you're, you're approaching max, you don't need to go on um, any longer unless you're perhaps doing a VO2 test in a lab at the same time as yep. your lactate test. Um, but we but won't they don't tend to do that, do they? Uh, no, they, they did it separately. Yeah, it, it kind of depends. I mean, um, generally just do a lactate. Okay, so now we've got our lactate tests and we've got our results because we've yep. gone through the process. So now how do we use this information? So then you, you, you get it plotted on a graph. You can either, again, if you're doing that in a lab, they'll plot it on a graph for you. And as I said, that key, the first key point is um, your lactate threshold where you break through four millimoles of lactate and you go down and then you can figure out what your heart rate is at that zone. And so that's really your hard zone. And the other key thing to look for is uh, what you generally see is your lactate will start a little bit high and then it'll actually come down and settle and the curve will be quite flat. Where you actually first start, your lactate first starts to go up, around about that point there is your steady zone. And that's really your, your aerobic threshold. Um, and for most people, that's your Ironman pace, is your aerobic threshold, your steady zone. So we're going to basically, now when we're doing races or training, we're going to look at our watch and we're going to figure out, okay, now this is my steady zone. This is a heart rate zone I need to be in while I'm training in a steady state. <coughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> He's dying next to me, I tell you. Oh, right, hold him up. I'm, get, I'm getting over this cold, but I'm not quite there. Yeah. Um, so when you've got these numbers, Talk to your coach about it, and then you can set some pretty accurate zones. What is important, if you're very new to Ironman, um, be a bit conservative on the bike. Um, I think for, for elite and very experienced athletes on the bike, they can push in their sort of upper steady zone. Um, but for people who are very new to the sport, you're much better off being a little bit conservative and being on your lower steady, even sometimes veering into easy. Yeah. Um, the key thing is you're getting through the race nice and comfortably and you can worry about racing an Ironman further down the track. One thing I've found with this tool, and you used it a lot in my training and I like it, is that um, it's very good with training to keep those consistencies. But one thing I find when I race is that my heart rate is naturally higher because of the race. That's right. Um, I mean, the key thing is your heart rate will be a bit suppressed sometimes during training, especially when you're in a very heavy period of training. It's uh, sometimes hard to get your heart rate up. So that's a that's a pointer is um, don't just use heart rate as yep. one indicator. It's a feeling as well. Yeah, you've got to yeah. use your perceived effort and your heart rate. Um, if you've got a power meter, we're not going to go into that today, but power is a very, very reliable um, tool. tool. So you can use all, th all three of those, but don't just ever use one tool at a time. So a coach now, you for example, being the coach from the coach's corner, um, <laughs> you then when you write programs, you're giving us our intensity zones based exactly. on the five intensity yeah. zones. Um, and so I think with Ironman athletes, I think uh, especially if you come from a short course background, it's important to remember that when you're out there doing an Ironman, you're really not going that fast. Uh, and that's yeah. that's that's a relative term, you know. Yeah. For, for an elite athlete, uh, running a four minute K is, is not fast, mm. um, but for somebody else it might be very fast. So you've, you've just got to remember that an Ironman's a pretty slow day at the office and the key thing is to put a steady output all day and that's why it's aptly named the steady zone yep. and you can keep that going for a very, very long period of time. Um, another point is you need to remember, especially if you're new to the sport, that your run zones and your bike zones are going to be different. So don't just you don't just have yep. one set of heart rates for every single sport you do. Um, your bike zones are typically going to be around about 10 beats lower than your... Is that because of the impact factor? With yeah, running? and yeah. running, you're using your whole body yep. to get going. You're, using, you're utilizing a lot more muscles. So yep. just remember that, that you need to do a separate bike and a run test. If you just do one or the other, then you can generally estimate the other ones. So if you get some bike zones, generally just add on around about 10 beats, and that will be your your, your run zones. Yep. Or the other way around, vice versa. Vice versa. Yeah. Um, and so if you've got any questions on this sort of stuff, just um, pop us an email. We're really keen to get you guys, a bit of input from you guys into the shows. Yep. So I know that's a bit of a general overview, but if you've got any more specific questions, um, perhaps what we might do in future shows is have a bit of a, an answer session. So write us some questions. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and then we can get a bit, of a, bit of, bit of communication going with you guys. And if you've got anything specific, uh, let us know. 
yeah, yeah, totally cool. Yeah, it's a good, just on lastly on this lactate stuff is that it's really good because sometimes you're just not sure. And I think for new, especially the newer kind of age group of athletes out there is that, you know, you just, you don't know, do you? And this way it's a very clear guide. Okay, this is, okay, my heart rate's here. I can stay here. I know I'm not meant to be pushing harder right now. And it's, uh, it's, I find it quite pleasing because I get a lot of athletes that come to me and say, oh yeah, I'm just running steady. And, uh, and they go and do this test and then, when they're saying their third or fourth step, they say, oh, yeah, I'm just sort of steady, maybe veering into moderately hard. Yeah. And uh, smashing <laughs> and then when we actually look at what their lactate's doing is it's, you know, they're well yeah. into their hard zone. And so I find a really useful tool and what I get a lot of athletes to do. Say, for example, I had a couple of Polish athletes last weekend running a marathon and I, I said to them, you're not allowed to exceed these heart rates for the first half of the race. Oh, wow. And um, and so they didn't. They're very, they're very obedient, these Polish guys. And, <laughs> nice. Uh, That's what the coach loves. And and what happens is they ended up enjoying the second half of the race more because they weren't absolutely toasted and yep. just just. And when you think of an Ironman, dragging you know, like their ass. That <laughs> Ironman's you know twice yeah. as long. You know, it's, if you can finish strongly, you can guarantee you'll pass so many people. Yep. And you, I can guarantee that if you go out at a conservative pace and you finish stronger, you're you're gonna get yeah. the finish line the quickest possible time and there's also the mental side of things is when you start passing people yeah. and they blow up you, you look at the last set of a marathon how many people are, are walking at Ironman yeah. when you're passing people you're just grabbing onto their energy yeah. and you're just hammering them into the ground so uh, it's a pretty motivational way it is yeah. so it's a very very useful tool well that's our show for today thanks everyone for listening uh, it's a little bit over an hour but we hope you enjoyed what you uh, we brought along Thanks to Karen Balance for coming along today. We really appreciate her time. And also, if you have any questions or inquiries that you'd like us to fill in for you, email us at our new email address. It is ironmantalk at gmail.com. That way we can kind of answer your questions. Also, check out our website, which is www.ironmantalk.com for the show notes. And uh, just one last thing is uh, I want to say big thanks to all you guys who have downloaded us this week. We were kind of hoping we'd get a couple maybe you know 20 people in the first week and we managed to actually get over a thousand people downloading the show last week and that's within five days so we're really stoked with that result um look forward to seeing you guys next week watch out in the next couple of weeks when we have scott molina for you so see you soon